Right on. You know, I didn't see my category up there. It had vocal, instrumental, and I was still looking for my category. How, how many are kind of left out of those two categories right there? No, I love to be on the front row uh, and to sing with all my heart. I did, I did try worship. I, I was a youth pastor. There was nobody to lead worship, so I bought a guitar. My wife bought me a guitar, and I led worship for one year in our youth group, and I, I think I sang uh, I Am Yours, You Are Mine by Bob Kilpatrick 5,000 times. Uh, it was in E, and it was like three notes. And so I was so gifted that a year later, my wife sold my guitar without asking me. She bought it for me, and then she sold it. She said, you know, honey, I think you should just stick to speaking. Um, so she, was, she didn't really encourage my musical career right there. But anyway, I'm happy with the lane that I get to fill. Um, amen. Let's uh, take our Bibles today. We want to welcome, typically, you know, a preview day. Again, it, there's no room in the building because uh, uh, we have our normal students on Fridays. Preview students come by a lot of them, and we just have no space in this room. And uh, but we actually have some physical students that came. A lot of it do it. A lot of them do virtually. But I just want to welcome some of those students here today that came on campus. And um, we're going to get back to that beautiful picture here uh, shortly. So God is good. God is good. We're going to be in Genesis chapter forty-nine. Um, I just really have been so impressed and blessed by our worship team. You know, these worship teams, musicians, singers, they work as long and as hard as athletes work at their skill and their craft contributing to this beautiful university. And I always measure the spirituality of a worship team by whether or not the instrumentalists, the, the people playing the guitars and all that, are worshiping the Lord um, from the back. And I looked up there today and I saw our guitar player with his hand in the air like that, worshiping at a time he wasn't playing. And it just blessed my heart. This stuff's all sincere. It's not showboating up here. And uh, we're just very grateful for what uh, the College of Fine Arts and what Worship Live uh, brings to this university, man. And they've not taken a year off, man. They have led it as though they're singing to thousands of people. So, man, can we just give it up one last time? I don't know if they're still in the building or whatever, but thank you so much, so much. All righty, let's go to Genesis chapter 49. I had two things in my heart this morning, even as I drove here to the campus today. Kind of two things were at the top of my heart. And I said, Lord, which, which of these should I preach and share today? And so um, I really kind of settled in my heart in my office about an hour ago uh, on chapter 49 of Genesis. And I've actually never preached this. This is a new study uh, that I've been doing. And I usually preach uh, the studies that I'm doing, not necessarily a full and completed, because I, I like to preach a text over and over and over again. So I'm going to introduce where I'm at in this text at this point of my study, because um, I think it's, it's strong enough to go public with. Um, and it's a very simple dashboard. How many of you, honestly, in your heart, even at this stage of life, you really do want to reach the full potential of your life? Let me see, let me see your hands. Like, I really am interested in that. Um, looking at my life ahead, um, I really would like to do what I'm supposed to do. I want to find out who I'm supposed to do it with, do what I'm supposed to do. And I really would love to maximize my potential in this life. And I think that's the heart cry of everybody in this room. I'm going to give you probably the simplest dashboard. It's going to be from a negative story, but it gives us a clue and a pattern as to what sabotages in a very simple way, the full potential of someone's life. And I, I've never seen this until recently. 
And it starts with three individuals and then it, it concludes with a fourth individual that's very dynamic, that shows you the beautiful picture of what potential looks like in this very simple metaphor. But it kind of starts off in some very glaring, blunt language. Now, I, I was wrestling with how to explain the concept that's in my heart or the principle that's in my heart, the outlook, how I've approached my faith. Um, since I was in my late teenage years, gave my heart to the Lord uh, like legit, and then uh, met Karen and have been committed to Christ and have been growing. But as I've looked at my life, I have had to balance two things, the grace of God and the fear of the Lord. The grace of God and the fear of the Lord is this tension that is explained and demonstrated all throughout the Bible. What really guides my decision-making is it the fear of the Lord or is it the grace of, of the Lord, the grace of God? And you know, the last sentence of the Old Testament is the word curse. It ends with a curse. If you look at the very last sentence of Malachi, it says a curse. Then there's a blank page that's in every Bible. The most important page in the Bible is the blank one between the Old and the New Testament. Had the Bible stopped with that blank page, we are in uh, big trouble. Because it ends with a curse. You know, then the blank page, then the new story unfolds, and the very last sentence of the New Testament ends with the word grace. May the grace of Jesus Christ be with you all. So the old story ends with the curse, the new story ends with grace. Grace is central to everything. It's that God initiating toward us a way forward, a way out, a way up, a way to him, providing it inviting it, all of it, the grace of God, the love of God, leaning into us and making every provision for us to come home and to be his for all of eternity. We could talk about grace all day long. Um, but I would have to say that most of my decision-making in life begins with the fear of the Lord, not the grace of God. The fear of the Lord. The Bible actually teaches us in the book of Romans that the great risk of Christianity, the big risk, the big roll of the dice, was grace. Nothing could be more misunderstood than grace. And the Apostle Paul says that there are those who built their life message, their paradigm, on what shall we say then? Shall sin abound, or grace abound, and sin abound, that, or shall sin abound that grace may abound? Because the risk was people would take grace as that license to take their focus away from the Lord and just kind of live for themselves because they've got this out. Well, he'll forgive me if I'm, say I'm sorry. And that was the risk of how the gospel was constructed. The Lord introduced to us this concept of the fear of the Lord based out of our love for the Lord and a desire to please him. I'll never forget when I was a kid, my mother used to tell me, clean the room. Make your bed, pick up your toys, whatever, whatever, whatever. Then I got a little older, maybe 10 or 11, and I realized my mother, who I almost lost the other night because she went into some type of septic situation and was rushed to the hospital. So we've been kind of monitoring mom for the last 48 hours in Seattle. But as I got a little older, I realized that my mother was leaving every night at 10 o'clock when we would go to bed, she'd leave for work, and she worked all night for decades as a night nurse. And she worked nights because then when we got up at 6 o'clock, she was back home, would make us breakfast. And then when we went to school, she, I, I think she slept for a little while, maybe four or five hours. 
And she was always there when we got home for, from school, there for dinner, there we went to bed. It's as if my mother didn't have a job, but she worked full time as a night nurse throughout my whole childhood, that routine. And about 10 or 11, my brain tissue or mass started to form, or brain mush started forming, and I started to adult a little bit and understand the price that my mother was paying to take care of me. So one day, when I was about 10 or 11, I got this crazy idea. I think I'm going to vacuum the house for my mom. I just vacuumed. I got home, and I, I vacuumed for my mother. She was out somewhere. She came home. She started crying. Like, you got to be kidding. I mean, how awful of a kid was I that just vacuuming the house brought my mother to tears? <laughs> Suddenly, I saw the joy, and it was my little way of bringing pleasure to my mom that I began to understand had, was paying such a price to take care of me. The more I matured, the more I realized that my mother had given her life away, literally, for the sake of her kids, I could not clean the house. My brother used to make fun of me, my friends made, because I love to clean the house. Believe it or not, honey, I did at one time in my life. I, I love to clean the house. Because I began to understand that it brought great joy. I didn't clean the house to avoid trouble. I cleaned the house to make my mother smile. So when I yield my body as a living sacrifice to the Lord, it's not so I can avoid getting in trouble. I've discovered the things that make God smile. And it's a shift. When that shift happens, your Christian faith is starting to take off. Because most people think holiness is somehow the avoidance of punishment. Instead of operating in the design of God, the instruction of God, that he knows better how this whole thing plays out. And if I walk in his instruction and say no to stuff and sacrifice along the way to follow in his instruction, he knows better. He designed my body. He knows how this whole thing plays itself out. I didn't know that when I was young. I didn't know how this whole thing plays out. I didn't know that that kind of decision doesn't really show up for about 10 years down the road and then it bites you. So that's about this whole idea of the fear of the Lord really guided my decision-making, not simply the grace of God, but the fear of the Lord. So Genesis 49 says this. Then Jacob called together all of his sons. Now to understand chapter 49, go to the last verse, verse 33. When Jacob had finished this charge to his sons, he drew his feet into the bed. So he has big, cold, stinky feet hanging out of the bed, I guess. He pulled his feet up got into a, probably a fetal position, breathed his last, and joined his ancestors in death. That's how this chapter ends. So he's probably saying his last things to his sons, the tribes of Israel. So understand how important this moment is as he talks to his boys, as he's about to pull his feet under the sheets, get into a fetal position, breathe his last, and join the ancestors in death. So here's what he says back in verse 1. Then Jacob called together all his sons and said, Gather round me and I will tell you what will happen to each of you in the days to come. Come and listen, you sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, the firstborn, the one with the double portion, the blessing. Reuben is first. Reuben. 
You are my firstborn, my strength, and the child of my vigorous youth. You are first in rank and first in power, because you're the firstborn. But you now are as unruly as a flood, and you will no longer, and you will be first no longer. Several translations says, Reuben, who has excelled, but now will excel no more. Why is Reuben excelling no more? Why is he no longer first? Dad is pretty clear. Dad tells his firstborn, Reuben, you're unruly as a flood. You will no longer be first. For you went to bed with my wife. You defiled my marriage couch or bed. Who saw that coming? Reuben, you were born with so much potential and you generated legitimate momentum in your life. But because you could not control your sex drive, you will excel no more. Reuben, his tribe was vast. When they did the census, when they went to the promised land of his descendants, his descendants, when they did the first census compared to the second census, shrunk in size instead of multiplied. It was a living picture of somebody squandering their potential because they could not control their sex drive. He said, Reuben, and Reuben, it tells that in two other places in the Bible, it goes into detail. In the book of 1 Chronicles, it talks about him having sex with Bilhah, um, one of his father's wives. And we can have a big, long discussion about multiple wives in the Bible, and we'll, we'll do that in another session. Never was God's plan. Reuben had sex with his father's wife. It wasn't his birth mother, but this crossed a boundary that was forbidden. And he says, because you couldn't control yourself sexually, you have squandered. Now, here's the deception. It looked like he was prospering and multiplying for a large segment of his life. And really now, he's being alerted that this practice, this sin in his life has cost him his potential, that he will excel no more. Now, the grace of God is wonderful. There's not a single person in this room that is not lusted in their heart outside of God's design as a single person, um, in your heart, fornication, as a married person, adultery. There's not a single person that has not had that thing cross a, uh, their mind and their heart. We serve a gracious God who is full of compassion, who smears us with that goodness when he presses by us when we're alone in the crevice in the cave and we're hiding. God passes by and his goodness touches us. You ever been alone, scared in a cave in the cleft of the rock and you felt the goodness of God just pass by you and just smear you with compassion? How many ever felt that? I have. I'm grateful that we serve a God who is compassionate, not just to me, but to my generation, to the generations to come. The way that iniquity visits, 
our offspring. Compassion and goodness visits our offspring, friends. I'm not here to condemn. I'm here to inspire. I'm here to help you elevate the fear of the Lord because here's how this thing goes down. Once you become knowledgeable of God's word, your level of accountability toward the Lord changes. Now that you become aware of this, it's like the Bible says, like stomping on the grace of God. The goodness of God has been revealed to you, the path of God. So if you truly lifted up your hand and said, man, I want to reach my potential. I want to be everything that I was designed to be. Yes, I'm all in on that. I want to do that. Understand the dashboard begins with self-control. You want the population of your tribe to go down quickly? Excel stills more. Be uncontrolled waters. Be, as some commentators say, a bucket of water that's been spilt. And in many ways, it's a powerful metaphor for a wasted life. I've lived long enough now to see the power of the wasted life I have not known a, a, a perfectly pure person ever, never met that person. But there's a difference between struggling, battling, humbling, being broken before God, asking him for strength and for help, and coming to this secret place in your life where you're just determining it doesn't matter. Just because whatever, nobody else is living up to any standard, so why should I? Is that person in this room? Is that person who, if you were the only Christian in the room, only Christian at North Central, which God forbid. But understand, there's a diminishing of our life when we don't live with self-control. Now, here's the second thing on the dashboard. Verse two. Come, or, or verse, verse, excuse me, verse five. Simeon and Levi are two of a kind. Their weapons are instruments of violence. May I never join in their meetings. May I never be a party to their plans. For in their anger, they murdered men and they crippled oxen just for sport. A curse on their anger, for it is fierce. A curse on their wrath, for it is cruel. I will scatter them among the descendants of Jacob. I will disperse them throughout Israel. Second thing on the dashboard if you want to reach your potential, you have to control your temper. You got to control your sex drive and you got to control your temper. If you're an angry person and you're cultivating, and I will tell you, it's like the devil just took a big bowl and poured it out in America this last year. Let's get everybody as angry as possible. It's just be angry. And it's not righteous anger that's going on in most instances because we seek to destroy, to diminish. We seek retribution, not redemption. That anger, it doesn't motivate us towards healing. It motivates us toward revenge. Simeon and Levi were reckless with their sword, reckless with their outbursts. I gotta go quick here. So if you wanna really simplify potential, you got to keep your cool. Got to keep your cool. Uncontrolled anger toward things, toward people, is going to diminish the tribe. It's going to eat away at your potential. It may, 
It may emerge slowly, but it will arrive with a vengeance when it arrives. You may just get away with it for long periods of your life. But at some point, people run out of interest in an angry person. They move on from them. And then you end up, and the Father's telling you that, I don't want to be a part of your meetings. I don't want to be a part of your plans. I can't encourage you amazing sons and daughters in this room how important it is that you rule your spirit and not be drawn into angry outbursts. And this whole thing about swearing, that's cool to be a Christian to use like swear words, not dropping F words, but you drop a bunch of like, you know, F minors. I don't know where this has come from. Paul said, don't let any unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. So in my anger, in my cool, my enlightenment, if you cultivate those muscles of thoughtless outbursts, your tribe's going to go like this. And when the Lord takes a census down the road, man, you, you were this, now you're this. Because you couldn't control your temper. Man, I've had to ask God to help me big time this year because I had to bite holes through my tongue. People wanting me to get on social media and basically put a middle finger up to people and tell them that they're idiots and fools. I used to operate in what I called the courageous middle. And I got people screaming at me that you're in the compromised middle. You need to pick a side. Just trying to, they're baiting me. Baiting me. To throw my potential away and to diminish my tribe. I don't want to excel no more. I want to control my passion. And I want to control my temper. What does that look like? And how many didn't see this message coming? I didn't think, where's this message coming from? The Bible. Uh, that's a good place for it to come from. <laughs> Down in verse 22, we wrap right here. Jacob talks to Joseph and says, Joseph, Joseph. <laughs> we have a family story on that one. Joseph, you're like a wild bow or branch who is rooted, whose roots go into the spring, a fresh spring, and from whom the branch reaches over the wall. So the picture of potential is Joseph. Bible says, Joseph, you're planted with your roots in a spring, the idea being your roots have access to this water, this living water. You've been planted there in the spring. Some translations, instead of wild bow, use the word wild donkey. But the, the premise is still the same. You have energy because you're near a spring. Your roots are in the spring. You drink from the spring. And whether it's the donkey or the branch, whatever Bible translation you have in front of you, it says you leap over the wall or you grow over the wall. Now, 
We've been born into a world with walls, racial walls, economic walls, academic walls. We got walls everywhere. The idea of the flourishing life of full potentiality is that God allows you to grow far beyond where you're planted and that you're able to grow over the wall. Walls don't keep you back. We're not inhibited by walls. We're not restrained by walls. God allows our life like a fruitful branch or a fruitful bow planted in a spring of living water, which is a life that is planted deeply in Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the word, words of Jesus, um, the friendship and comfort of Jesus. When we're planted there, the Bible says that our branch will not be blocked by a wall. Our influence, our leadership, man, we grow over the walls. And we can reach far beyond where we started instead of seeing our tribe diminish because we couldn't control our sex life and we could not control our temper. Very simple dashboard. I'm praying for you that God would give me. I want to live this, man. I want to live this. I'm 58. I'm closer to heaven than you are probably. Standing before the Lord, I want to live this. And when I feel the devil coming my way to say, hey, let's, I'm going to lure you over here, the image of my potential being slain, my tribe being diminished. Hey, I want you to lose your spirit, Scott. I want you to say things out of the flesh, not out of the word or out of my spirit. I want you just to be drawn into this anger. I want you to swing your sword, take people out. I see, no, 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 devil. I don't want my potential to diminish. When the census is taken, man, I want to have reached everything in my life that God wanted me to be and to become, friends. I want to be the branch planted in the spring that reaches over the wall. I want to go far beyond where I started in life because Jesus is flowing through my veins. Let's stand together, friends. You guys have been awesome. Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful day, this beautiful Friday. Lord, thank you for the preview day, our students that are here. We pray you'd speak to their lives, God, and draw them, God, to that perfect place for education. Father, I pray as we go into this very cold weekend, Jesus, Lord, keep our hearts, our hearts warm, God. Lord, I pray today, and I just lay at this altar again as a married man or a single adult in this room, whether I'm married or single, God, I lay my life again at the altar, and I, I don't want to be like Reuben. Lord, I want to excel. And Lord, I don't want my waters to be turbulent and uncontrolled, God. I live under your instruction, Lord. I live within your design, Jesus. You saw how all this plays out. And Jesus, you've given me the paths of life. Father, I pray that you would give me grace, Lord, when I am feeling that need to rage on somebody or say things, God, out of the flesh, that I would just stay quiet or I'd turn away, Lord. I'd offer a word of life instead, Jesus. Help me to respond with the opposite spirit, God. And Father, I pray today that every student in this room, God, would reach far beyond where they started, Lord, and that the walls of this world, God, would not hold back the power <clears throat> and the leadership in this room, in Jesus' name. Let it be. Let it be. Amen. I'm glad you came to chapel on a Friday today. Now listen, it's Friday, so what are the two words heading into the weekend? 
Homework and holiness. So that's, that's what the weekend is all about. I love you guys. God bless you. God bless you.